the glass half full version, which would be my initial response would be amazing. Like this is helping people navigate the world and feel more empowered. You know, you're walking around and the glasses are navigating you by narrating the world to you. That is also an instance, um, CR, where it seems like bias, whatever the bias of the AI is, is so important because it's like, it's telling you what you're seeing, right? Are you seeing a person, a chair, a tall person, a short, you know, whatever the AI is telling you, you're then internalizing that. So it's like this really powerful thing of like a computer is telling you what's real, you know, around you. And then you're going to act on that. Some failures may feel like the end of the world, but at the end, you find yourself walking away with a vital lesson. Circle CI CTO Rob Zuber is on a mission to find stories of software industry leaders who survived some epic mishaps. Subscribe today to the Confident Commit podcast. Check it out at circle.ci slash podcast dash SO. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. I'm joined today by three wonderful co-hosts. I will let them introduce themselves. Adam, Matt, Ciora, hello. Hi. Hello. Hello, hello. Um, Adam, you're not on as frequently, so why don't you go first? Tell folks who you are and why someone. You, you, why, why are you on this podcast? What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent question. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm Adam. I'm a staff software engineer here at Stack Overflow. I work on stackoverflow.com itself, uh, hopefully making it better uh, over time. And uh, I'm here basically to hang out and vibe and have a nice conversation with uh, the rest of you fine folks. Amazing. Ciara, who are you and how would you describe yourself to a listening audience? Yes, I'm Ciara Ford. I'm a developer advocate that belongs at no company as of right now. <laughs> and I guess that's it. I guess that's all that's important for this podcast. I don't want to like take over and tell my whole life story or anything like that. Okay. Well, <laughs> but you I will. I appreciate you. You will on an episode soon when we yeah. do our origin series. Yeah, origin series. Maybe so. <laughs> what if crossover? Uh, Matt, who are you? What are you doing on this podcast? I am Matt Kiananda. I am a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. I help out on a bunch of different things, the podcast being one of them, um, the YouTube channel being the secondary. All right, everybody, we are here to talk all things software developer. If anybody has a specific news item they want to kick off, feel free. Otherwise, I will take my first swing. I, uh, I'm i very keen to talk about these Envision glasses, which, which I found, if that's okay with, yes. the, with the group. Go for it. Okay, cool. So the reason I, I find these so interesting is because I worked with a software developer, a friend of mine, um, who is legally blind. And watching him work was a completely mind-altering shift in like how how to work with software because he's, he's, he's not able to see a screen. So he has to rely on screen readers. It was very bizarre walking past him and seeing his screen completely blank, but he was so concentrated and was tapping away on the keyboard doing all these things and getting to know like how he worked and kind of the challenges that he faced as a software developer who was blind was was really quite eye-opening so whenever i see tech that um kind of helps with that accessibility and makes things um the, the lives of uh, people with uh, who aren't able to see better 
I really love that. So these are the Envision glasses, and they use AI to help people who um, are blind or visually impaired to better understand their surroundings. And they do a couple of different things. Um, they have a small camera on the side, uh, which can scan objects, people, and text. And uh, it also has a little speaker to relay information back to whoever's wearing them. Um, so it can tell if somebody's approaching. They can basically kind of inform you of your environment. Mm. Um, one of the use cases that they explained was, say, for example, this this person was in a restaurant and he was able to call somebody, use his glasses to kind of show them their environment, and they were able to guide him through a series of obstacles in order for him to reach his table, which I thought was like, it's really cool. And because it's all hands-free, he could use his cane or use his guide dog, all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's basically it. It's I think they're incredibly cool. AI is is a way to kind of like help people. Yeah. So this is an independent company that creates these. These. So these were actually based upon the old mm. Google Glass that was, I think, it like announced in 2013 yeah. or so sure. that right. never hit shelves. Yeah. So this is like they took that as the baseline, and that never caught on with consumers, but they upgraded and really sort of honed in on using this as an augmented glasses to help folks who are visually impaired. Yes. Exactly. Oh, cool. Um. They, they are expensive. They retail at 3500 But like one of the things I'm really excited to see with with these specifically is the shift to glasses. Like, like and we know Apple's coming out with their augmented reality glasses at some really? stage in the near future. And I'm <laughs> very excited. Yeah. I mean, you could say that, but I, I've been working as a journalist uh, and the Apple car has been coming out for uh, at least 10 years. So we'll see. <laughs> they do have people, they have an R&D team that works on it, whether that means it will ever come out, you know, I think is kind of an open question. Mm. But there's, I'm, I'm very, I'm very curious as to what's going to happen with the world of wearable augmented reality tech right. and how that's kind of like developing programs and what like weird and wonderful things people are going to come up with, whether that's like entertainment for children, or it's going to be more like helping people in a more vocational aspect. Like yeah. I'm interested to see here if anyone's got any ideas on what they'd love to see with augmented reality technology. I, I know Sierra's opinions on AI, so I want to chime in here because I think this is so interesting. The glass half full version, which would be my initial response, would be amazing. Like this is helping people navigate the world and feel more empowered. You know, you're walking around and the glasses are navigating you by narrating the world to you. That is also an instance, um, Sierra, where it seems like bias, whatever the bias of the AI is, is so important because it's like, it's telling you what you're seeing, right? Are you seeing a person, a chair, a tall person, a short, you know, whatever the AI is telling you, you're then internalizing that. So it's like this really powerful thing of like a computer is telling you what's real, you know, around you. And then you're going to, yeah, that, that that's the thing for me that I, I think very deeply about. And I think it's important to have these conversations, especially since this application of like AI and VR and AR is like pretty new it seems like like when I first heard about the the Google glasses my reaction was I'm very cautious about any big tech company having any more access to my perception of reality <laughs> so <laughs> it yeah. really it, it's an example to me of how developers like we do have a big role in how the whole world kind of could turn out in the future because the code that you write is could be super super impactful especially in the case where like we're talking about machine learning and ai and applications it can have like on the future on accessibility on all kinds of stuff um i want to be hopeful that's what i'll say i want to be hopeful and i think there are some really great use cases for it but will they turn out great i don't know 
Adam, let's have you weigh in here. Would you be wearing these? What are the pros and cons? Uh, I mean, I'm actually pretty excited to see these or something that's less has maybe less of an impact on your body. I'm thinking mm. of those mm. um, uh, yeah. eye implants. Uh, I think it was in the news like a few months ago where like the company was on the verge of going out of business and the tech that they use was obsolete. And like, so the people who actually got those were Ugh, kind of yeah. really stuck, not knowing uh, what, what was going to happen with that. Um, so seeing a shift to, oh, you, it's a wearable. It's, you know, if it stops working, that obviously is not ideal, but at least you're not stuck with like something physically embedded in your body that now is just going to break down. Yeah, you don't want your cyborg self uh, to no longer receive updates and security patches. Um, I don't know if y'all know this, but one of the first stories I ever did for The Verge was about getting a, a magnet implant in my finger. This was like 2012 or whatever. Oh. And it was people who were like into having a sixth sense and they were like biohackers and they built like little, little, little gadgets that they implanted in themselves. Um, and at the time, you know, cyborg stuff seemed pretty far away, but I would say like glasses that can see the world around you and describe it as what you're seeing. And then obviously in the future, they could say this person's body temperature, they could say, you know, they can see things you can't see. They can see in you, you know, heat or UV or whatever. Like that is some straight up cyborg stuff. And to Adam's point, like it's nice to be able to be able to put that on and take that off, you know, not, not for the decision not to have to be as permanent as, you know, homebrew surgery, which is what we were doing. It kind of makes me think of, uh, I think it's in Sweden as well, where there was a trend or maybe still is a trend of people uh, getting uh, chips implanted in their arms and they can like, you can like unlock your apartment with it. You can pay with it. You can do all of that. Oh. Uh, and it's fascinating, but also kind of terrifying. <laughs> I don't like, I think, like, I feel like maybe in Sweden I would do that. I don't know if I would do that here. <laughs> there was a case where somebody, they were going into their building and, you know, they would have, he was a delivery person. And so he always had his hands full. And he was just, he had his wallet basically have the chip <laughs> in it. So he would just kind of rub his butt up against the um, the door, door code. Yeah. And so he put an RFID chip in his right buttock. So yep. he could just kind of swipe it and walk through the building. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so what happens if you stop working that job? Do you I'm have to get the chip extracted? That's company property. They got to take that back. That's a level of offboarding I'm not ready for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm much more okay with wearable stuff opposed to like in your body stuff. What? Yeah. That's that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. think about it like this though. Like my grandfather who lived to be 98 had a pacemaker from 80 something on. That is a piece of machinery that was like acting as his heart. And, you know, folks do have these eye implants, which, you know, better or worse than as they work. And people with Parkinson's now often get these electrical implants in their brains, yeah. which are sending, you know, based on an, on an algorithm that decides when they, they, you know, give them electrical stimulation to kind of ease their tremor. So in the medical world, like if you, if you talk about it as a medical device, it no longer exactly. seems weird. Medical devices scare me too. <laughs> but also they go through so much more vetting and approvals and testing. And, you know, I, I will trust like a medical implant way before I trust, I don't know, a tech company of any kind <laughs> to really get something. If I need something to help me live, that's different from me needing something to like unlock my front door. Yes, that is very different. But the, I think the key here is like the perception of it. Like people are more than happy getting kind of like artificial hips or screws put into bones once yeah. they're broken. And that, that's out of necessity. And it's in a medical context, whereas this is going over and above to improve your life. But I think what'll be interesting is that like 
we have this perception that you know getting getting screws or um, an artificial hip or whatever that's okay but going like where is the kind of line and how is that going to change as it become right. more and more commonplace i mean one thing that i notice here uh matt which you brought up which i think is really interesting it's like google glass the snapchat spectacles mm. facebook has them to my knowledge they've never really caught on in the mainstream the way the smartphones or video games caught on right where it's like everybody has one it's just so common you know um and it in, is in part because like they lack a certain utility whereas here it's obvious what the utility is to someone who's visually impaired and then it's really cool because then there's a market and the developers can like improve it and build on it and maybe someday that comes back and it's the same actually you know with driverless cars like the thing that really spoke to me the most with that test that um waymo is doing in phoenix was people who are visually impaired or people who are elderly and can can no longer drive and so they're sometimes housebound but when you can summon a car and it just picks you up and takes you where you want to go like that's so liberating I mean, that's so empowering for people i guess so nice to see technology work that way sometimes i have a use case for siora which which might sell her a little bit on the wearables <laughs> say for instance there was this particular k-pop show you you wanted to see it live but you are on your way home somewhere. And so as you're walking home and the top little right-hand corner of your wearable device was playing the K-pop show and you were able to go for a walk in the park, enjoy that at the same time. See this, I'm glad you brought up K-pop because <laughs> this is one of the things that like, I I have a an issue with sometimes with technology is that it becomes a little too immersive mm. and too, too like, separate from what reality is because i see this happen a lot in k-pop although it's different because it's not necessarily because of technology but like with k-pop because they're the k-pop like the korean k-pop uh, labels well it's korean pop anyway the k-pop labels are like at marketing and things like that they create a very immersive experience for listeners and fans of whatever group and because of that it distorts a lot of people's view of reality. Like sometimes if you talk to certain fans, you can tell that they don't do much outside of like watching the their favorite group's videos, songs, whatever. And I think that's extremely unhealthy. So I kind of think, could it be the same with technology if it becomes to a point where like, I'm just going to like spend my whole day in this like virtual reality world. And now you're like totally decoupled from what reality actually is think about how you feel when you spend your whole day on social media like talking to people who aren't actually, i was just like, about to say isn't this just being on twitter yeah like <laughs> it, chron <laughs> chronically on twitter yeah it's like when you're chronically online it's not very healthy for your your brain like i don't think so anyway mm -hmm. so i just think about that kind of stuff about like the future long-term impacts of like possibly spending your whole day like in some virtual reality world this brings me to a topic I wanted to discuss today. So I, I was a born and bred resident of New York City for a long time. Now I moved to the country post-pandemic and sort of feeling out what that life is like. And one of the things that makes me the happiest is that I can go to the office you know, once a month, twice a month if I want to. I feel pretty connected to people because it's so easy to have a video chat like this. Um, and, you know, we, we do, we're going to have an all hands meetup. So like, you know, you can kind of have both worlds. You can be in person with your colleagues sometimes, but mostly, you know, be living rem and working remotely. So the new mayor of New York is very worried because Midtown Manhattan, which is full of office complexes and the financial district, which is full of office complexes are empty compared to what they used to be. And this is 25% of the city's tax base. So without these things functioning at a high level, New York City cannot pay its bills the way it used to. Like it, it would be disastrous. And so he made a comment 
which was to the effect of get up off the couch and out of your pajamas, lazy people. Ah, that good old to the office. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. Yeah. Um, and it, I just, I just, it just struck me how out of touch that feels. Like it would have felt out of touch before, but now, you know, in in a in a period where I know lots of folks who are working long days and getting a lot done and getting promoted and you know all completely remotely. And I guess one thing that that kind of stuck out to me was like this is the way software developers have already been working by and large for the last five or ten years. And open source, which has been such a powerful um, movement within software and, and now within the business world kind of like puts the lie to that. Like if open source with not just like you can live anywhere, but like literally anybody who has a good idea can come and contribute, can build up, you know, something like Linux. Why, you know, what value is there really, you know, like to being, we have to be in the office if we're going to get creative and productive. Like, I just don't see it anymore, but let me throw that to all of you because I do think some people rightly, you know, feel a little bit mixed that they, there are things that they like and miss about the office. I think that's true. But like, to what degree do y'all feel ready to completely embrace remote and hybrid? And to what degree do you like to have the optionality to be in person? Well, I'll say that I think a lot of people, especially like political figures or financial figures who are pushing for in person, I think their motives are completely monetary. Like, I don't think they really truly believe yeah. or even know whether or not it's more effective to be in person or not. Like, if you've never worked remotely, how could you know what's more effective? Um, but aside from that, I do think that I do see people's argument when they say that they prefer in person, like working with people in person for collaboration reasons. I've also heard some people who are breaking into tech who have these like junior positions say that they struggle to be mentored properly and to problem solve and collaborate when they're in a remote environment, which I think are all very plausible issues and concerns. But then I also think that like remote work has been life-changing for a lot of people, especially if you're a parent or especially if you're disabled, things like that. Um, so I think that I, I think that we're at a point now where we've seen how powerful remote work should be. I don't think we should get rid of it. I also don't think we should completely write off working in person. I think um, companies should really consider hybrid work models where like people have the option to do either or or do both that's my opinion on that wow i feel like i was i mean at stack overflow we've been kind of remote first remote focused whichever way you want to put it uh pretty much since the inception of the company um so i used to work out of the office kind of in the pre-covid days uh and i haven't really been back yet uh, even though i'm still in new york but uh I was still remote in relation to the majority of the people I worked with directly. So the benefits of the office for me were really about meeting people in the areas I would otherwise never have a reason to talk to. Um, so, you know, getting to know Ben here, for example, like we spent many, uh, many lunch hours talking about, you know, various things, and for marketing. Yeah. playing magic after work and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I, I think there's benefits that aren't, directly related to the specific job that you're doing. Um, having said that, I absolutely do not miss spending, you know, an hour and a half combined every day uh, traveling to and from the yeah. office. So I don't think I'm ever really going back to a full, um, you know, full in person all the time. Matt, how about you? Yeah, honestly, I think Adam and Sura summed this up in, in a very good manner. I think Sura is kind of like any comment where 
you know, we shouldn't rely on one or the other. A hybrid approach tends to work because, I mean, you get the the best of both worlds. I know I've been working remote from New Zealand, which incorporates a time zone difference. Um, if I wasn't able to work remote, I, I wouldn't have been able to get this job. And I think one of the things I've noticed as well, going from um, going from a software developer to now sitting, you know, within the, the marketing team as a developer advocate, is that I think software development and software engineers are in a very kind of like privileged position in this case where like a lot of their work can be done asynchronously where you don't need to be in constant contact with somebody you kind of you know your tickets you can get your jobs done you cannot talk to anyone for five six hours at a time and then sync up later on and that's okay that workflow works really well but for other people for instance which does require more collaboration more kind of like in-person things it's um it's definitely a little bit trickier so i know personally i I struggle a little bit with remote work and I really enjoy like, you know, I'm, I'm in the new New York office at the moment and I am like pissing everybody off by how <laughs> egregiously happy I am at the moment. Um, so, you know, it's, I, th- I think, yeah, as you mentioned, like a hybrid approach works best. I also, I met a real estate agent the other day and when she found out that I work for tech, she immediately soured on my disposition because basically exactly what what had happened all the tech workers they're like you know i'm not, i'm going to stay at home and i don't need that fancy office in midtown that generates $10,000 in revenue a month yeah so here's my dream y'all welcome to pick this apart or or pick it up and run with it but what if we you know just sort of rethought the city which is to say like mm. there were things about san francisco that were wonderful and people you know went there to found great companies but also miserable because you know the l- number of software people in tech there and the rents and the sort of inaccessibility of the city to others because of that concentration. Same thing in New York with finance. You know, like everybody has to get together in the office, and that like pulls in these great concentrations of people, which can lead to productivity, but also ends up with a lot of wealth inequality often. So it's more interesting to say like, what if you wanted to live in Manhattan or San Francisco because it's a great place with parks and schools and neighbors and, you know, like all the other amenities, let's take out work because you could work for, you know, a company anywhere. Obviously that means, well, we're only talking about knowledge workers, but what if that means that there's actually more room in your average city for the people who have to be hands-on your teachers and, you know, your construction and your hospitals, because the people who are in the IT knowledge world can now I, I live in a you know rural town in upstate New York. Like I don't have to be in New York City taking up necessarily that space because I want to have this kind of job. So to me, that was like it it would be fun. It would be interesting. It might be productive to even like reimagine what the purpose of a city is as it relates to kind of work. I think that would be ideal is to like make these cities actually more livable. Because one thing I'm sure you realize as well, Ben, and maybe you too, Adam, since you're in New York as well. One thing I realized living in a big city during a pandemic is that there are so many people everywhere and there's no space. And I live in Philadelphia, <laughs> which is smaller yeah. than, than New York. So like ideally, right, like since so many people are remote now, that gives you the freedom to work anywhere, maybe move somewhere else. And because of this like mass exodus out of these big cities, it would be great if we could like reimagine the whole architecture of a city and give people more space <laughs> like that would be much more livable and nice and appealing but i don't know if that's going to happen <laughs> i feel like that would take like a lot of work and also forgetting like 
people have to let go of the fact that we're not going to have the same real estate profits that we did before with these like big city, these big offices downtown and all that kind of stuff. Like that's just not going to be a thing anymore. And like, yeah. we have to let it go and move on. That is a powerful industry. Totally. Yeah. I don't know if you know this, but the, the new mayor of New York also is a former real estate oh, developer. Oh, is he real? So that I may influence that. <laughs> his views on whether or not people should be uh, going back to the office. But go ahead, Adam. I don't know if I have too much to add, but I, I think I broadly agree. I think reimagining how the cities work uh, doesn't even have to be big cities, right? They could still have a similar impact even on smaller um, smaller areas and smaller places. Um, it's, I don't yeah. know, I, I haven't been uh, to the financial district here in probably a year and a half at this point. Uh, I don't remember what it looks like. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, that's a lie. I do. I do remember the. You don't remember our there. office neighborhood? Yeah. I remember yeah. Williams? Hey, I saw it in the. Uh, oh, geez, what was I uh, watching? Uh, Mr. Robot, because uh, it was filmed right on the yeah. on the block <laughs> where the office is. I think in like season three or yeah. something. I remember seeing that on TV and being like, "Hey, wait, I know this spot." But yeah, I think you're right about smaller communities. It could go both ways. Like I live in a, in a town now of two thousand. And people have moved up here. Myself, I work in software. I know somebody who works in an online design firm consultancy. I know somebody who works in the podcasting space who previously you know, would have been in a, a studio. And now we live here. Our kids go to school here. You know, We go to the dog park here. And so we invest in this community instead of yeah, New and York it City, might, Brooklyn, you know, Manhattan, like There's kind of the usual you know, small town to big city pipeline kind of a thing. You, know? uh, you always hear about people wanting to move out of their like, tiny town where they grew up in, but maybe now they right. don't have to and they can just live close to family and uh, right. close to friends and we can kind of uh, all live together in harmony. I am, I am <laughs> going to be very curious as to how, with remote work be- becoming a thing now, like our real estate needs have changed, for instance, like trying to live and work out of you know your bedroom is is quite taxing mentally because you can't separate that space and so i'm i'm very i'm wondering whether or not in the future if remote work sticks and i hope it does that we're going to start seeing more developments that have separate office spaces or more you know like even at like a co-working space at the bottom of their building so they you know they don't they don't have to move they have private offices they have spaces like it's really quite interesting yeah. to think how fundamentally like this might change a lot of different aspects yeah. of our lives yeah a luxury building instead of putting in a gym now puts in a co-working space yeah or even just yeah. making the actual apartments big enough where people could have a separate office like that yeah. would be nice oh, true yeah like so many apartments just, you know nice. <laughs> you don't you shouldn't have to buy a house to have a yeah. space like so many so many apartments in these big cities are super small and they just want to fit as many people as possible but if people are leaving, that gives you more space to make the apartments there bigger. But I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know the logistics right. of making all this stuff possible, but it, it sounds like a nice fantasy, at least. We should build it. Yeah. I mean, I do think that. Oh, that ahead, no, I was making a dumb joke about how we build Stack Overflow Town, which is just a <laughs> utopia for large apartments with right. multiple rooms and the ability to work from home. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you joke, but there there are company towns from big tech companies. They're they're just like a company yeah. town. But um, I mean, the it was kind of like WeWork um had its problems because of you know some of the eccentricities of its founders. But yeah. like they kind of got it right. Like they're not wrong that what people want now is a flex space where it's like, well, this week we want an office in Toronto. Okay, your team this week has an office in Toronto, or like I want a place I can go three days a week, or you know I want a conference room for four hours. Like that to me is quickly becoming the ideal model. 
it raises a lot of interesting questions around like proprietary stuff and security for people to be sharing those spaces, which would be an interesting challenge. But I, I kind of feel like that is where we're headed. And so I'm excited to see what develops. I mean, for me as well, just the remote working before we move on to a different topic, like it's it's enabled me to do a lot of really cool stuff. Like I've been working from New Zealand for a while. I've been working in Toronto and Vancouver for the last couple of weeks. I'm working in New York now, wow. going back to Vancouver. Like I could I could go, you know, spend three months working in Toronto. I could do 90 days in New York if I wanted to. Like that ability to move around and um you know, it's 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 offered me a lot of freedom that wouldn't have been available to me five, ten years ago. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. We are going to shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge, somebody who came on Stack Overflow. They found a question with a score of negative three or less. They went ahead and gave that question an answer, and now that answer has a score of 20 or more. The question has a score of three or more. They saved some knowledge from the dustbin of history. Thank you to MetaDept, awarded April 16th. Generate a two-digit positive random number in JavaScript. Tech Rex for today. I have one which I saw this week, which... I'm not sure how pro you all are at Git. I know I still make mistakes and I say something that rhymes with Git <laughs> quite often when I make a mistake. So this is an basically an open source game about learning Git. Mm. It's it's quite fun. It's very enjoyable. It's It's got, you know, the art style isn't, you know, AAA quality, but it's enough to help you kind of like learn Git and understand it. And um, I, I found this really quite cute and fun, and um, it covers a lot of situations where you might find yourself in a little bit of strife. So the website for that is, well, it's going to be linked in the show notes below, is ohmygit.org. Cool. My cool. tech rec for this week is a little website or service, I guess you could say, called popsy.co. And it allows you to turn your Notion pages into a free website. Someone introduced this to me when I was talking about how my personal website hasn't been updated in literal years. And um, as a person who's like a Notion power user, this is like the perfect thing for me. So I think I'm going to, instead of like, uh, there's always this battle between do I build projects or do I update my personal website instead of like having to choose between the two. I'm just going to update my personal website as a Notion page and turn that into a website using Popsy. And then spend all my time working on personal projects. So I wanted to shout that out. I thought that would be a useful thing for some listeners here too. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see you yes. give it a try. Shout out to the Notion Power users. It's always good when the tool you use every day can be used to do that thing you've been procrastinating yeah. on. I, I, I had a quick look as well, and they have a ton of free yeah. templates that can, you can get started with as well, which look like very high quality. Very, it's designed well, so you can just focus on getting your stuff out there. You don't have to worry about the formatting for those of you who aren't design inclined, <laughs> and uh, you know you can just get up. Yeah, and so it. I'm excited to give it a try. I'll probably do that later on today, um, as I've been asked for like my personal stuff like personal projects and information and all that kind of stuff and i don't even have it on my website anymore so that's something i need to get done probably sooner than later so i'll be doing that beautiful all right everybody thanks again for listening i am ben popper i'm the director of content here at stack overflow uh wildlife enthusiast uh itinerant bird watcher you can always find me on twitter at ben popper you can always email us with questions or suggestions about the show um we'll shout you out if you send us an email hit us up podcast at stack overflow and if you like the show, uh, leave us a rating and a review on whatever your podcast platform of choice is. It, it really helps. My name is Sierra Ford. I'm a developer advocate. I'm currently looking for my next role. That is not an, uh, like a, a shout out for 
new leads because I don't need any right now. But hopefully soon you'll hear me saying that I belong somewhere. But anyway, if you want to keep up with me in my gruesome job search, you can follow me on Twitter. My Twitter username is Ciorio. That's C-E-E-O-R-E-O underscore. I'm Adam Lear, staff software engineer at Stack Overflow. Um, you can find me on Twitter if you really want at uh, AA Lear. Uh, and uh, I'll hopefully uh, talk to you all before too long. And I'm Matt Kianander, developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. If you want to find me online, talk about anything, Vancouver, New York, where I happen to be at any, any one stage, uh, my Twitter is at Matt Kander, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R. You can also find me on YouTube with the same name. Terrific. Thanks for listening, y'all, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye.